0: Hey guys, welcome to episode 203 of SwiftCast. This is Steph, Ashley,
1: Adam, and Nate.
0: And we have a really exciting episode for you this week. We're doing something completely different that we've never done before. Thanks to our followers on Twitter, we found another podcast called Switched on Pop, which is composed of Charlie and Nate. Nate Sr., as we call him later on in the episode, <laughs> not to be confused with our Nate Jr., but they have a really great and interesting podcast where they deconstruct pop songs that are on the radio. They've covered Taylor in the past, but this week we cover a song that we have never covered and that they also have never covered, and it's I Knew You Were Trouble. They have such enticing details about the construction of the song that I never knew or thought about. And it was really interesting to talk with them. So I'm excited for our main discussion this week.
1: I have a newfound respect for Taylor as a songwriter after listening to these two break down I Knew You Were Trouble. is fascinating, fascinating. Anyone who considers himself a Taylor Swift fan needs to hear what these guys have to say.
2: Just when we thought that we knew all of her tricks, it turns out we know nothing.
1: Literally, I sat there, I'm like, (laughs) oh my god.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, before we get into the main discussion, we want to first turn to some of Taylor's older tweets and Tumblr posts from this week and prior years.
2: And the first one, always a classic, from June 8th, 2009, so eight years ago, Taylor tweeted, if I said I was in the studio with T-Pain, would you believe me?
0: Doug story. <laughs> that was great. Such a classic. Our next
3: tweet is from June 5th, 2010. and I can't believe it's been seven years since this ended already. But the tweet was, It's so hard to believe that this is the last night of the Fearless Tour and that it's in Gillette Stadium. I'm walking on a cloud today.
0: That is hard to believe. And that was the first time Taylor performed in a stadium and just look at how many stadiums she's done since then.
1: Our next one comes from June 4th, 2013 and Taylor tweeted filing this under never in my wildest dreams. Thank you. Rolling stones for inviting me to Chicago to sing with
0: you. So when you guys look back on this tweet, do you wonder if this maybe inspired the song wildest dreams or did she already have it written? It was June of 2013, so we know at that point she already had some songs written for 1989. We don't know exactly when Modest Dreams was written, though.
3: I don't really think so because it is a common phrase that people use. I mean, it might be coincidence. Maybe she did have it in the back of her mind that she was going to use it as a song. But I think it was such a cool moment for her that she used a, a common phrase to express how awesome it was.
1: See, I kind of disagree. I'm going to play devil's advocate. I think I remember reading something, and this was years ago, about Taylor describing her songwriting style. And I thought she said something like she had this word bank, almost, or, or like phrase bank, that uh, of certain things, certain uh, little snippets that she loved and she saved for future songs. If this was the case for even, you know, just this little snippet, Wildest Dreams, if she heard and was enchanted by it, I think that's really interesting.
0: Oh, you know, I actually, I remember that article too. She said she kept all of those phrases in a note on her phone. She would just, when she thought of a new phrase or something she thought would work in a song, she just typed it into the notepad on her phone.
1: Okay, yeah. So I didn't just dream that. Okay, good.
0: <laughs> no, and I remember she said something like she was on a boat. I don't know why I remember this, but she said she was on a boat when she came up with It's going to go down in flames. And she entered it into her phone. It's kind of scary that she thought of that when she was on a boat. I don't know if she thought the boat (laughs) was going to sink or something. Oh, that's funny. So, yeah, I don't know. I just always wondered that. Maybe after she tweeted that, she thought, oh, that's Wildest Dreams. Maybe I could use that in a song somehow.
2: When I look at this tweet, I just remember frantically trying to find a way to go to the show. Because they announced Taylor's appearance that morning, and unfortunately, I was unable to go.
3: Oh, I didn't know they announced it ahead of time.
2: They did. There was an article basically promoting it, which the show was already sold out, so I'm not sure why they did that. Obviously, Taylor doesn't do that with people, but they did.
1: You know, one final point I want to make about this tweet. I wonder if this also inspired the performance when Mick Jagger came out and sang during 1989.
0: Right, she did that during the Nashville dates of 1989
2: I just wonder if the Mick Jagger grandma was freaking out when this happened
1: <laughs> yeah, she, <laughs> uh, that's great
0: right she was the grandma who was in Nashville and got to see Mick Jagger and they did satisfaction that was so great
1: what a good tweet I love this whole thing
0: well our next one is from June 6th of 2013 Taylor tweeted, thank you, Tim and Keith, for joining me on stage for Highway Don't Care at CMA Fest. And thanks for the number one country radio, FUN. And she put that in all caps. And this performance was incredible because she actually started this performance out by singing part of Tim McGraw acoustically. And then all of a sudden, Tim and Keith came out.
2: And I was there and I was crying. (laughs) I
0: thought you were there
2: I could not handle it
1: I remember there was this little video short that came out after she had this performance of her a long time ago Uh, I'm talking like Sundress Taylor singing Tim McGraw and then it transitioning into this uh, in this case Red Era Taylor singing Tim McGraw and of course it was like the most popular thing on Twitter for I don't know how long I mean everyone was just breaking down
0: because of it That was an amazing clip.
3: And I feel like that was such an underrated song and didn't get a whole lot of publicity. And maybe that's because it was between albums and it wasn't on her album. But it's a great song. I always enjoy it.
0: It is a great song. And it is the last song Taylor had on country radio.
2: Our next one is from June 5th, 2014. Super weird how all of a sudden everyone is busy when I text them, hey, want to come over and have a Scrabble tournament?
1: (laughs) 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 Taylor, I would go to your Scrabble tournament.
2: Absolutely.
0: This is so funny because I remember this is when she was finishing up the Red Tour and she was traveling internationally. And there's a photo of her walking through the airport with a Scrabble board. So she actually took it with her.
3: Oh, yeah. I was going to ask. I feel like she's never talked about or tweeted about Scrabble before. So I guess she does really play.
0: Yeah, she has... It looked like a custom wooden kind of board it looked fancy
1: wasn't it something that her mom gave her for christmas something like that
0: i think because didn't she tweet or something about how she wanted cat toys and a scrabble board or something like that
1: right (laughs) well you're just inviting the wrong people taylor
0: (laughs) we would all come yeah
3: our next post is pretty cool it's from june seventh, two 2015 so two years ago and it was an instagram video of taylor and kelsey ballerini and little big town all backstage at the 1989 world tour and kelsey is singing yeah boy for them and taylor wrote petition for yeah boy to be kelsey's next single because it is my everything and i just find that so cool because it did become a huge smash hit for Kelsey.
0: Yeah, it's still on the radio all the time.
3: Yeah, it is, and it's one of my favorite songs from her album.
1: I'm bummed now because Steph and I were both at that show, and while it was awesome seeing Little Big Town, I wish Kelsey Ballerini would have come out on stage too.
0: Absolutely. Kelsey, I think she did a pre-performance maybe? Or no, actually, Rachel Platten was also there. Rachel Platten did a pre-performance, and then the next week, Rachel Platten showed up in philadelphia as a special guest but it would have been cool actually to see all of them all together and now it would be great to see taylor and little big town doing better man all together
1: Mm -hmm. definitely well speaking of little big town another post from tumblr same day taylor posted on june 7th 2015 when little big town is singing girl crush in your dressing room there is no other option but interpretive dance
2: Yeah, that was another video of them sort of hanging out, singing acoustically. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the song Girl Crush blew up basically right after that.
0: Something that often happens, yeah. I think it did.
2: I think it was already pretty popular, but it just became a huge, huge, huge smash hit for them. Probably their most popular song to date.
0: Agreed, yeah. And another great example, like I said, Rachel Platten came the week after for Fight Song, and immediately after that, the song was already building a lot of momentum, but it just blew up after Rachel and Taylor sang it together. It seems like a recurring theme, but Taylor knows how to introduce us to great new music. A few days later, on June 9th of 2015, Taylor tweeted, The arena made this collage of fan pictures. I always feel so at home here because of how thoughtful the people are. And this was for her tour stop in Raleigh, North Carolina, and she included a photo of her looking at the collage, which was really nice. Well, now we're going to move on to some squad tweets from some of Taylor's friends.
2: Okay, have I mentioned that I really love Lord because I really love Lord? You have. (laughs) Probably once or twice.
1: (laughs) I think on the air, off the air, I think that is all you've been talking about.
2: (laughs) I mean, I've always really liked her, but since she started promoting Melodrama, which is her album releasing now next week, she's been promoting it for about the past three months and every song she's previewed, I love more than the last. I don't understand how that's possible. And so this week was pretty exciting because on June 9th, she posted the tour dates for her stops in New Zealand, Australia, the UK, and Europe. So those are going to be going all throughout the rest of this year. So I'm guessing she'll be touring in the US probably next spring.
0: That will be really exciting. And hopefully somebody else, a certain Vaughn, might be going on tour.
2: Yeah, I was already thinking. I hope that their tour stops work out so that one of them can be a guest for the other one because they're so great together.
0: Yeah, I hope so.
2: I think Taylor and Lord performing Greenlight together would be so epic.
0: Yeah, I actually would love to see that. I was lucky enough to see when Lord came to the DC show for 1989, and it was one of my favorite live performances with a special guest.
2: And I missed that by one show of mine, and I was so devastated. I was literally at the show before that and the show after that.
0: I guess that's the problem with special guests because you just never know who you're going to end up missing out on.
3: And Lord also tweeted this week, check your streaming service at midnight to celebrate the tour launching. I'm giving you one more new song. It starts with the letter S and the song came out and I have to ask, we'll go back to Ashley again. The song is called Sober, right? Yes. And how is it? I have not heard it yet.
2: Well, she played it at Coachella in April, so I had already heard the live version and loved it, and the studio version is even that much better. Awesome. And if you follow Lord on Twitter, and if you follow Jack Antonoff, they've both been tweeting a lot of behind-the-scenes details about how they created these songs together, and it's pretty interesting.
0: And the official release date for her album is this Friday?
2: Yeah, June 16th.
0: Okay, that's exciting. I need some new music, so I will be checking that out.
2: With the exception of Liability, every single song she's released has been just a huge like jam that you could dance to. Every song is so much fun.
1: Well, speaking of new music, uh, Kelsey Ballerini, she just tweeted as well, June 7th, hashtag legends is here. That is Kelsey's new single. Have you guys heard it yet?
2: I have.
3: I have, and I really like it. And she also performed it at the CMT Awards this past week.
2: A lot of people on Twitter, since as we know, Taylor and Kelsey tend to share a lot of fans, were comparing the, I guess, the message of the song Legends kind of to Long Live.
3: Yeah, I can definitely see the connection. That's a very good point.
0: Are there specific lyrics that people point to?
2: I think it's more just the overall message. Kelsey made a post about how this is a song for the fans and about all the great moments that she's gotten to have with them in her career so far. And it's just a lot of the song is just about achieving milestones and like looking back. And I think just as a theme, it just feels very similar.
0: Oh, wow. I haven't gotten a chance to check it out yet. It's on my list. I've heard such great things about the song. It sounds like it will be a huge hit for her. Well, that's all we have for the squad tweets for this week. And we do have some exciting pieces of news. Not very much news, but really very exciting.
1: It's always great when Taylor re-emerges and we're able to actually get something we can sink our teeth into.
0: Exactly. And so this week was huge because, first, Taylor had 100 million song certifications from the Recording Industry Association of America, What this means is that she has officially been certified for moving 100 million song units. It's a big deal.
1: Yeah, I ended up reading, I think that the only other person that has moved more is Rihanna, which makes Taylor the second person ever to pass 100 million song units.
0: That's incredible.
2: So in celebration of that, it was announced this past Thursday, June 8th, that at midnight, Taylor was going to be putting her entire collection of music on all streaming services, which is huge because she removed her whole collection around the time 1989 came out.
0: Yeah, almost three years ago is when Taylor wrote the article for Wall Street Journal, where she decided to remove her songs from streaming. But I think the, the biggest piece of news here is that Spotify has reached an agreement to pay... million to songwriters and publishers. And I'm 100% convinced that Taylor's decision to stream her music is because of Spotify's agreement to pay the publishers and songwriters. So this just illustrates, once again, the profound and huge influence that Taylor has on the music industry as a whole.
1: That's so great. I've always agreed with Taylor on the point that Artists need to be fairly compensated for the work that they're doing, basically. And it just goes to show, just like you, Steph, how monumental it is that an agreement like this could be made. It's fantastic.
0: Yeah. And with the Apple agreement, we actually got to see Taylor wrote a public message and then Apple responded. So we don't know the details of how this all happened. Maybe in the future we will, but either way, it's great news fans are really excited about being able to stream Taylor's music on Spotify now.
3: Yeah, the response to this on Twitter was overwhelmingly positive. I saw so many fans that were so excited and they were creating Taylor Swift playlists and they were streaming some deluxe album songs that they hadn't heard in a really long time. And I think it just brought people back to, not that they couldn't listen to the songs before if they didn't, if they owned them, but just reminiscing and going back and hearing all these old albums on a streaming service.
0: It should be interesting, though, because Taylor does have the agreement with Apple and she wrote the letter and then Apple launched the 1989 World Tour Live. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the future when she does have new music to promote. What do you guys think she'll do?
3: Yeah, you mean like if there'll be any type of conflict or anything?
0: Or which platform she would use.
2: I would expect that maybe the next album will be exclusively on Apple Music for a period of time before then being added to other services.
0: Mm -hmm. I could see that.
1: I tend to agree with that, yeah. Something that is really interesting to me is that because at the Grammys now, they recognize—they didn't used to, but now they recognize— Units that are moved through streaming and downloads, even if the artist did not make any money on it, if Taylor's move to Spotify and these streaming services is partly because of that. If she's able to showcase more of her things and get recognition for it and provide her music in this free manner, I don't know. I I just wonder if it all ties together.
0: I expect she'll probably elaborate on her decision at a future time. I hope so, too.
3: Yeah, maybe in an interview in a couple months or something, yeah.
0: It would be cool if she wrote another article like she did for the Wall Street Journal. But you also have to consider that was practically three years ago. And in the music industry, that's practically a lifetime. Things are changing so rapidly that I don't think you can fault her for changing her mind here. As we said, Spotify is paying the songwriters and publishers. And if you just look at the way the music industry and the way people get their music these days. It's changed so much so quickly.
2: I do have to say it's pretty crazy after so long of not having her songs in my Spotify library that I can be listening to, you know, any other artist, and all of a sudden like the best day comes on. (laughs) (laughs) And they even have the Speak Now World Tour live album. So I have that in the mix now too. Yeah, that's
0: awesome.
1: I hope for people who weren't exposed to Taylor's back catalog before now discover these albums and realize how talented an artist she actually is
2: i think that will absolutely happen because i mean one of the things that spotify does really well is recommend music to people like it gives you a daily mix based on your taste so if people are listening to shake it off or blank space it'll throw in older songs into their playlists and hopefully just create more fans for taylor
3: And our final piece of news is that MTV is currently putting together a list of the greatest videos of the century, and currently, Bad Blood is number 12 on their list, and you can go to MTV's website to vote to help get it to number one.
0: Well, that's it for our news for this week. We'll be right back with our main discussion. Well, we are very excited for our main discussion for this week. You may have seen on our Twitter account, we asked our followers whether they had any ideas for guests we could feature on an episode. And thanks to all of you, we had a great suggestion. We had a follower suggest contacting switched on pop. And switched on pop were actually responded to us. And so we're really, really excited to have them on the show. Switched on Pop is composed of Charlie and Nate. And they have uh, their own podcast where they break down in depth, very popular songs that are on the radio. They have actually covered Taylor twice. On episode two, they covered the musical evolution of Taylor. And then on episode 54, they covered I Don't Want to Live Forever. So we're really excited to have them here because they really, as I said, break down songs piece by piece and explain how a song is composed and different techniques that are used so we're excited to learn about the perspective of how songs are made so please welcome charlie and nate hey guys
4: thanks for having us here
5: hello
0: hey welcome to the show guys
5: we've actually covered taylor thrice not just twice Uh
0: oh really which one did i miss
5: Yes, we've also we also broke down blank space.
0: Oh, excellent! And
5: the tenth episode of Switched On
0: Pop. Tenth episode, okay, that's great. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about your podcast and how you break down songs?
5: Definitely. So I'm I'm Nate. I'm the the musicologist. Charlie,
4: that's me. I'm the <laughs> resident songwriter.
5: <laughs> uh, and and together. We uh, break down popular hits to try and understand what makes them successful using music theory, music history, cultural context. Uh, we believe that there is uh, a, a deeper kind of musical world to, to pop music than than many people realize. That there's the the reasons that they they might find a song resonates with them. Uh, have to do with musical calculations that they they don't uh, understand. They only understand viscerally. So we try and sort of decode what's happening that makes you feel a certain way.
1: You know that's really interesting because whenever I do think of pop music, uh, not necessarily Taylor, but certain other uh, songs, especially on you know top radio, uh, I do kind of think sometimes uh, that sometimes it it lacks a certain meaning. But for other people, it really you know, hits home has has a certain kind of emotion. So it's interesting to me that you guys are able to identify those things in certain pop songs.
4: I just have to say that uh, decoding Taylor's music is incredibly rewarding because even songs that I might have let pass by, they were just sort of in the background, I hadn't paid attention to them. Every single time I sit down, learned them on the piano and get in the meat of the songwriting, it is Always rewarding. She is. There's so many nuanced little details that make her songs pop, and um, just it's so fun to celebrate.
5: Yeah, and I'll say, I'll, sorry, I'll just say too that Taylor really. We we're very indebted to her because she helped put us on the map. Our second episode was about her, and that was a huge jump for us because of the passion of Taylor Swift's fans, and and like commendably, I think their desire to to understand more about the craft behind her music like that that was really encouraging for us we were like totally buoyed by the swift what do you call fans of taylor swifties
0: yeah exactly (laughs)
5: swifties yes the swifties buoyed us to our middling success in the podcast world now (laughs) yeah especially shout out to the uh, reddit swifties yeah
0: oh that's awesome we've been trying to interact with reddit swifties as well when did you start the podcast
5: we started the podcast, uh, let's see, two and a half years ago. Is that right, Charles? Yeah, that's right. It
0: was pretty, it was right
2: around when 1989 came out, wasn't it?
5: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So, and, and that's, and I'm glad you pointed out because that was like very fortuitous timing. And because I don't want to overstate the importance of that record, but I, I felt like it was this moment where people were really engaging with the most popular songs on the radio in this really like deep and systematic way. Like people took that album very seriously, even as it was also this mammoth, you know, chart busting commercial success. Yeah. So we, we were maybe poised to take advantage of that moment to be like, Oh, people are listening to like Taylor Swift really intensely. Let's like, you know, capitalize on that momentum (laughs) here.
0: Well, after Switched on Pop reached out to us on Twitter. We also asked our followers which song you would like to hear them break down. And we did a quick poll. New Romantics actually won the pool, but we, as a podcast, did our own breakdown of New Romantics on episode 99. And because we've covered that before, and this is our first time having Switched on Pop as a guest, we wanted to cover a song that we've never covered before. And so we went with the runner-up, which was I Knew You Were Trouble. And I Knew You Were Trouble, as Charlie and Nate mentioned, is really important because it permanently marked Taylor's place on the pop charts. And so we thought this would be a great song to discuss for this episode.
2: And when it came out, originally, our podcast hadn't yet started. So we really, though of course we've talked about it in other contexts, never got to do an in-depth analysis of it.
5: So this is unfinished business. (laughs)
2: <laughs>
5: i'm so excited to get to do that with you
1: yeah i to me anyway uh between new romantics and i knew you Were trouble i mean both are great but to hear the whole breakdown of i knew you Were trouble about all the musical elements and things i'm just very excited to hear what you guys have to say
4: so do you want us do you want us to kick it off
0: yeah that sounds good
4: well, I really liked what you said about Trouble being a pivotal moment for for Taylor, really marking her uh, transition into being a mainstream pop artist, because that is in many ways what this song is all about. It's the crossover from country into pop by merging her country sound with a modern electronic dubstep sound. And I was so excited that you chose this tune because actually, to be honest, I hadn't spent much time ever trying to think about how this tune was constructed. I I had known that there was a real sonic shift for Taylor. But when we get into it, you're going to see that the sonic shift, the the change in genre for her is mirrored in the entire song's construction. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, it suggests that it's just another demonstration of, of how great of a songwriter she is, because this is, it's not just, hey, I'm going to use the cool new sound. She is using it really intelligently. So what I want to argue is that she makes this shift successful because she stays relevant, she keeps it familiar, and she mirrors her, the narrative change um, with that sonic change. So first, she keeps it relevant. The song Trouble, what would you say Trouble is about?
0: Well, what the media always does is goes right to which person it's about. <laughs> oh,
4: right, right, right. <laughs>
0: And so when this song was released, it was always uh, considered to be a John Mayer song. And that's what everybody talked about. But then later it became a Harry Styles song. But as <laughs> podcasters, we try not to pay any attention to those kind of things. And so for me, it was really just about a narrative of something Taylor experienced in her life where there was someone in her life who she knew she shouldn't be involved with but she got involved anyways and she placed some of the blame on herself which I think is great because another thing the media always says is, is that Taylor plays the victim all the time but in this song it's a great hmm. example of hmm. she's really blaming herself
4: yeah, she's moving beyond the romanticized love story narratives uh, about romantic love and into a more complex adult uh, world of relationships in which she enters a relationship that she knows is trouble from the very beginning, right?
0: Right.
2: And what she, one of the first interviews that she gave about the song when it was released was her explaining that she said, when you hear this song, it will sound very chaotic, kind of like the many different Mm. emotions that a relationship can sometimes be.
4: Exactly. Whoa. That is exactly (laughs) how she, that's amazing. She, she, and this is what I mean by she is using this sound, this electronic sound, and she's keeping it relevant to the narrative of the piece. It's not just taking, hey, this is the hot new sound. And so in order to keep my career successful, we have to now have a dance tune. That's not what's happening here she is using the chaotic sound of dubstep, which we know from artists like Skrillex and other big DJs. And she's superimposing it into her chorus where she has this breakdown of, I knew you were trouble when you walked in. And and so the the first thing we have to know about this is that she isn't just appropriating a, a sound here. She's using it with a lot of songwriting craft. Next, She's keeping it familiar, and I think this is really important because if you listen to um, that, those sort of those skrillex dubstep sounds. uh, Nate, do you have an impersonation of what dubstep might sound like?
1: (laughs) Exactly. That was amazing.
4: And and it can be really disorienting, disturbing. Uh, It can be exciting. But she makes sure that she uses this sound under really familiar chords and melodies. Uh, The chord progression to the song is one of the most familiar chord progressions in all of pop music. Um, She's in the key of F sharp major to begin with. She moves down to C sharp major. She goes to an E flat minor. And then finally to B. This is called the one five six four chord progression. Yeah. Nate, how many songs have been written in this chord progression?
5: Um, too too many to to count. I mean, Taylor likes to use these very familiar chord progressions. Um, but then she often upsets them in a way to sort of defamiliarize them. So, we'll well, I'm curious to see how she does that in this song.
1: Now, is there a reason that? these songs use, that one, five, four, six progression? Is that, is it, does it just resonate with people? Is there a reason that so many songs use this?
4: Well, I think part of it is that it is actually just so familiar and has been used for so so long. So just some songs that use this chord progression. Uh, Bob Marley's No Woman, No Cry. Um, Hmm. Kelly Clarkson's Don't You Want to Stay. Adele's Someone Like You. Um, The Rolling Stones' Beast of Burden. The Beatles' Let It Be. Um, bon jovi bruno mars eminem i mean it's all over pop music so it's it's um in the world of, of music theory it's one of the sort of most sonorous uh, resolving chord progressions um nate do you have anything you'd like to say about sort of the internal workings of this chord progression and
5: why it's so popular other than its historical um use uh well I I this is a shameless plug but I would really direct lis- listeners of this uh <laughs> wonderful show to uh our most recent episode which actually goes deep into the question that Nate Nate Senior let's call let's maybe that's a good the other Nate, Nate that, maybe we could call him. the other <laughs> yeah. Nate yeah, but if we both say the other Nate then who's that's a very I'm gonna good point. say Nate mm. Nate Senior uh <laughs> asked I that that would be a great answer to how these chord progressions work on us. Yeah. So the most
4: important thing that we just need to emphasize is that despite the undertones of dubstep, it is a really beautiful chord progression. And um, so she's taking something which could be scary and unfamiliar, but uh, blending it with something that we know very well. And I think this is a great songwriting choice, because if you change too many elements, you're going to alienate your listeners. So the third element that makes this tune so great is the way that it uses narrative change, which we hear both within the the song's narrative as well as in the uh, tr- the, the movement of Taylor's career, and it's all caked into the progression of the melody. The melody takes us somewhere. It takes us from what I am going to call the "Once Upon a Time" melody. The earlier country taylor swift the love story you belong with me taylor swift and we're going to move into a more adult sound a more poppy sound into what i call the troubled melody so what i want to take you on is this journey through the melody of this piece and show that it beautifully mirrors what's going on for the narrator and for her career do you want to get on this ride with me
2: absolutely (laughs) wow yeah that sounds fantastic
5: (laughs) You must be this tall to enter.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm five, eight and a half, so. Hmm.
5: Maybe you're Nate Jr. then. Okay.
4: (laughs) Um, What I want to establish is that the song has these two different um, feelings to it. One is old Taylor, once upon a time Taylor, or should I say younger Taylor, once upon mm-hmm. a time, Taylor, and this is the in, the the verse and the intro of the of of the piece where she's reflective. Um, she opens up with the lyric "Once upon a time." She later is going to move into that 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 new state, the more mature Taylor. Um, but let's start with "Once upon a time." It's the very first thing that we hear in this song, and she sings "Once upon a time" over this melody that goes. <laughs> really simple and repetitive melody every time she changes a chord right Yeah. she plays the same melody right you get the same thing over and over and over why is she doing this because she wants to drill it into our ear and if we haven't gotten enough of it she has to go What is she doing? She is constantly reaffirming the major tonality, that we are in a major happy key, right? So she constantly is restating here we are, we're in this happy key. And what's more is that it's referencing her prior work. What would you say is one of her most popular songs throughout her entire history?
0: Love story
1: love story you belong with me definitely
4: those two definitely and and so here she is referencing you belong with me because they are both in the same key they're both in f sharp major and you'll hear that's you belong with me right and this is trouble very similar
1: That is so interesting. I'm grinning ear to ear right
4: now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, and, and, and what, what a brilliant thing to do. She sings once upon a time and immediately by being in the same key and using a similar melodic progression is referencing her entire prior work, her entire career arc up until this point.
5: And well, she wants, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to, because I, I thought it was interesting that the Swift podcast all came back with love story because to me, once upon a yeah. time might also index with love story. Like, yeah. Does she have any other songs that use that phrase once upon a time or have that sort of fairy tale quality to them? Well,
2: she has quite a few. The first one that came to mind was her song Forever and Always from the Fearless album. Hmm. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that one.
5: I'm not, but that's that's an early album, so it's definitely in her her early career.
2: Once upon a time is the first line of that song.
5: Oh, oh, interesting.
4: Wow. Okay. So she's, this is, everything here is deliberate, right? But I
2: never once thought about the fact that those songs had the same opening line.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and I never thought about once upon a time. Now, talking with you, it makes me think that she was referring back to a song like Love Story or You Belong With Me and showing she's still the same Taylor, but she's making this huge change.
5: Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. I never yes, thought of that
0: before. Definitely.
1: When you said fairy tale as well, that it, it made me think of the song "Today Was a Fairy Tale," where it also has that whimsical kind of uh,
2: tone to it.
5: And that's also an, an earlier song. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and really, all the way up until the Red album, I would say like 90% of what she did had the fairy tale aspect to it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. on mm. Speak Now album, en- Enchanted.
1: And that's what she went for
2: too. Yeah, it was always a recurring thing.
4: Right. So if she's referencing her prior work, what's going to happen next, she's going to subvert our expectations. She's going to take us somewhere new. And she begins to do that in the pre-chorus of the song. This is where she sings, and he's long gone when he's next to me and I realize the blame is on me. And we take a little bit of a melodic shift here. She sings... Interesting move. Now, the first thing that she says, and he's long gone. Nate, what do you call that?
5: That, my friend, is a textbook example of text painting.
4: Yes. And what is text painting?
5: That's when the meaning of a word is illustrated by the musical choices being made.
4: So her opening melody was this sort of fast, jumpy, airy, bright thing right mm-hmm. then she's slowing it down and extending her vowels right when she's singing long gone yeah. and he's long gone yeah so by stretching out long that's text painting yeah
5: and the term we use for a single syllable stretched over multiple pitches like that where you mm. have ah like one syllable but multiple notes that's called melisma.
0: Oh.
2: We're learning so much.
4: <laughs> Basically, she's a really good songwriter and and just using all of the tools in her toolkit here. So there's a thing that happens in this pre-chorus beyond just using text painting and melisma. Um, she is modulating the song. And so we use this term modulation in the world of music theory. When you move from one key into another, in this case, she's going to take us from F-sharp major down to D-sharp minor. Boom. This whole song moves it into a new tonality. It goes from major to minor. And the narrative of the song reflects this. This is where she begins to sing, I knew you were trouble. And so we begin to move towards the trouble melody. The trouble huh. melody is firmly in the minor because it opens up on the D sharp minor home note. And then it goes up and then reaffirms that note. Right. You know, earlier she, she kept reaffirming that she was in the major. Now she keeps just hammering down. Hey, I want you to know that we are now, we've shifted to the minor. Brilliant move. If you have any doubt that you have shifted into a minor sort of sound, into a sadder uh, sound, well, she wants to confirm that we have gone in that direction. And she does this by referencing that opening once upon a time motif again, but this time resolving it into the minor. She does this when she says, Now I'm lying on the cold hard ground. Is very similar to the. Whoa!
1: Whoa. Oh my god! Wow! <laughs> <Right>? ah.
3: <laughs>
4: so she's taking her earlier material and she's reworking it and p- bringing it into a new context. So this idea of 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 shifting um her career shifting her her, the tonality shifting um the narrative uh within the song is caked into every little moment including this one little extra melody and when she sings the refrain of this once upon a time melody she does it of course over a different set of lyrics now i'm lying in the cold hard ground Very clearly taking us down into that minor tonality. So we have gone on an incredible journey with Trouble. Mm. We see that she is uh, very deliberately making a shift into a mainstream pop artist. This is one of the first songs that she is collaborating with Max Martin and Shellback, who then are responsible for production and songwriting um, co-credits on a bunch of other tracks, including Blank Space, and really help bring her into a more modern pop sound. So she's making that choice as an artist, and she's doing it by incorporating new sonic elements, the sounds of dubstep but she's doing it by keeping it really relevant. She's using that sound to mirror the shift in narrative, the shift from love story into trouble. So this is a song that uses it well. It's not misappropriated in any sort of way. She keeps it familiar by using chords that we know all so well and have heard so many times, chords that she's used in other songs. And um, and so... Makes it clear that we're, this is still a Taylor Swift song, but she is making a narrative shift, and I really like how you how you put it out there. This is a song about taking responsibility for relationships that haven't gone well, and she makes that change by modulating the song from uh, the happy into the sad, and has that built into every little melodic shift by using motifs that she uses and reuses and uses and reuses and another plug to maybe go listen back to that second episode on taylor swift and her entire songwriting arc she has one songwriting uh one melodic move that she uses all the time we called it the t-drop you can hear it in um you belong with me the this thing that little mm-hmm. melodic move is is a, is a sound that she uses all over the place. There are a bunch of songs across albums. And so what I loved about going into Trouble was seeing that this is not um, – basically what we've discovered about Taylor over and over again is that she makes really conscious choices – that every little melody is there to reinforce either the narrative arc or career arc or just obviously sound beautiful as well. Um, But everything made very deliberately. And so, as I said, I hadn't gone much into trouble a few days ago um, in preparation for this episode. It, it, It is just like any other Taylor Swift song. It emerges into incredible depth. It bears great fruit. It is such a beautiful tune. The more we dig into it, the more we see that she is a great songwriter.
2: It's amazing to me how... One of the ways that she's been able to, I guess, retain her fans is by presenting these melodies that we're familiar with over and over again without us even realizing that she's doing that, because I never consciously realized that.
4: You don't need to. It just has to be there in the background, and something subconsciously happens where you're like, that's a Taylor Swift song. That's Taylor Swift sound. Mm -hmm. Even when she moves between genres, um, you still get that um, T-drop melodic move that she makes. (laughs) She'll use that same thing. You're like, oh, that's a Taylor Swift song, even though th- it's really different.
1: I love that phrase, by the way, Tea drop That's amazing. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> Thanks.
5: Yeah, we're so eagerly anticipating her next album to see if they're, we're like ready to go do metal detection for T-drops.
4: <laughs> yeah, do you all have any uh, inside intel when we're going to hear some new stuff?
2: We don't. We're just, like everyone else, hoping that it's as soon as humanly possible. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And that is a huge understatement.
5: Yeah, I just want to jump, Charlie. That was beautiful. I have thank you. I you really helped me understand why this song, particularly, I think, out of all all of hers, really gets under my skin. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah because when you first were talking when we were talking about it and you were like oh it's in uh, f sharp major i was like no it's not it's a minor song <laughs> but i realized no that's not the case it's just the the chorus is like so minor that that's the first thing i think of um yep. so that was just that just was wild to me uh and i just want to talk for another second about this melody in the chorus because mm. it's so insane yep. We just need to appreciate what it does. It goes, I. So, from, from I to new to you to were, this is a vocally incredibly challenging because you're going up and down a single octave. You know, that is down from one note up to a note that's 12 chromatic pitches higher and then back mm-hmm. down in the space of like no time. Right. No. <laughs> like, I, can't, <laughs> like, so, I see. can't do it at all yeah, just I mean, it's just it's so cool. It's so cool. And then the rhyme scheme is really interesting on top of that. So the first time we have we have the low i, the high new, and then a low u, and then a high were. So there's kind of this internal rhyme between new and u connected mm-hmm. by an octave. And then when we fast forward to the to the sort of complementary line, which is flew me to places I'd never been. It's this is the course is very disorienting. I, I think no. intentionally so, because right. now it's um we we hear the flew me too doesn't start at the beginning of the phrase because there's no I you know like that isn't the first phrase we had I knew you were and then this mm-hmm. one. Rather, the end of the now starts the line. So it's like, now nah, flew me too. So the <laughs> ow takes the place of the first word of the phrase. And then instead on the second high, we get flew. And then we get down me and then up too. So she chooses not to do the same thing she did in the first time, which was up and then down. And there's a rhyme, new you. She could do that here. She could give us flew boo or whatever <laughs> but she doesn't he goes flew me too so it's like the almost the same thing but different and i think that's mm-hmm. that kind of like where it's the same thing but different and that kind of like we can't shake that feeling of like oh this is yep. really familiar but it's changed somehow is why that chorus gets stuck in our head in such a profound way
4: yeah, Nate, this is something that we've seen that she does a lot in her uh, verse melodies as well. Again, to back to some of our other other episodes, you'll hear her take a uh, a melody and you'll have heard it in maybe the first and the second verse, she'll sing the melody the exact same, and the third time she sings it, she'll sing an entirely new melody in an entirely new rhythm, but it's so good that you're like, oh, I totally have heard this before, but it's the first time you've heard it and you're expecting something else. So she's always finding these moments where she can subvert our expectations. And I love that she's doing it even within a a small internal rhyme.
5: There's one more thing about this song that you mentioned that's intriguing. I feel like we're well positioned to take advantage of Nate, Ashley, and and Steph here because you mentioned like, what, or my question rather is what is the, can we detect a country presence in this song? Cause you mentioned that. Mm. And, mm-hmm. but I, but I don't know where it, if it is, where it lies in this song exactly. So I'd be curious if we could put our collective heads together on that. Are there moments in the song lyrically or musically that feel part of her country, you know, her Nashville roots?
0: For me, I think what Taylor does with her songwriting is she always tells a story And she learned how to write songs primarily in Nashville. And even on 1989, a lot of her songs tell a story. And I remember reading commentary about, for example, Blank Space. And she's performed it acoustically uh, on the Deluxe album. There's the, actually, when she's making the song and performing it for Max Martin and Johan Schellbach. And commentators have said... That's Taylor Swift. She's telling a story. She's Mm. writing songs. And the article I was reading about the Blank Space demo was that she's still really a country artist at heart because she's writing these songs and telling these stories. And this song tells a story. And Mm. I think if you stripped it down and made it an acoustic song, it probably could sound like a country song. I
2: definitely agree with that. And what I also think is interesting is, so this was released as originally one of the promo singles before Red, the entire album, came out. And so when she announced Red, the album, she didn't say she was going into pop, but it was kind of apparent because We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together was clearly a pop song, but... (laughs) It seemed like with that, she wasn't fully committed to it being a pop song because there was a pop version and a country version that were released, you know, to pop and country radio, respectively. Oh, interesting. So when this came out, clearly there was no version with a banjo on it. You know, it was, only, <laughs> it was only purely pop. So that just stuck out to me at the time and still does.
5: Hmm. So that's kind of, I like that kind of a kind of a foreign and against right there. I'll make a case for some country if you don't mind. Please do. Okay,
4: two things. One, we have in the opening a very country-style orchestration. We have bass, guitar, drums, vocal, um, and all instruments that we would expect to hear in a modern country tune. But they are playing in a rhythm which is very not country. It's much more syncopated. Um, The rhythm almost draws from Since You've Been Gone, uh, another max martin tune um yeah it has a sort of almost like punk-ish feel right but there's another piece of country in it and i actually think it's in that once upon a time melody so when she's going in the core of that melody is a <laughs> that movement from the home note to the the, the first note to the fifth note Is a, is a very country sort of move. So I think that there's a little bit of that one-five country sound um, with the, the right instrumentation, but really stripped down and, and, and put into a, a new context with a different kind of rhythm.
5: Mm.
1: Do you think that's a product of Taylor having such a background in country songwriting, or do you think that that was intentional for uh to illustrate the old uh, Taylor, so to speak, the once upon a time Taylor, as, as you've put it.
4: Nate's not convinced.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I find the I find the first uh, argument convincing, and the second uh, I'm, I'm skeptical. Isn't there a kind of uh, analysis
4: in music theory where you break down a melody to its uh, sort of core of the strong notes that are happening in it? Um. Yes yeah and to a certain degree, couldn't you say that there's a
5: kind of thing happening throughout the entire thing i i no i and i think i think it's very provocative interpretation, but i think it's oh, thank easy, you. i think it's it's it it's not necessarily i'm not convinced because i feel like you could come up with lots of other musical styles (laughs) that would similarly kind of demonstrate that one five axis it doesn't scream country to me that going from the one to the five fine 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 i have one more for you though okay (laughs) what's that (laughs) so
4: i'm not sure what the proper musical term for this is but when you take um a three note melody and you play it over eighth notes Um, and you use that as a way of creating rhythmic displacement about where the notes land. What I mean here is the... That's the kind of thing you could hear on a banjo roll. Again, maybe not directly country, but uh, there is a sort of displacement that happens in country a ton with that kind of melody.
5: Well, I think, yeah, I think but part of the reason we hear that is more... Because to me, like that lyric i'm lying on the cold hard ground like i want to say it in a so that feels like a country lyric to me you know oh it does yeah
0: mm-hmm.
5: i'm lying on the i, I want to say in a southern accent am lying <laughs> on the cold hard ground
4: <laughs> it almost wants like a blues note in there too yeah something like that
2: i
5: agree yeah it's interesting i mean i think going back to nate what nate was asking is like in a way it's hard to to say what's intentional and what's Yeah. yeah. Not I mean, what's just her doing what what she's natural, what she's feeling, what she's being called to or what she's feeling commercially, you know, moved to do. But the fact is that her success is is probably in large part indebted to her unique ability to merge these country influences with these pop influences. I mean, there's like hardly anyone else who's able to do that so successfully.
0: That's why this is so interesting to me, because as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking about how Taylor didn't go to college. She was just already so successful. There was no need for her to get a degree in music theory. So just listening to you break this down, it makes me think, does she just know all of this or did she learn it throughout the years? Obviously, on this song, she had help with Max Martin and Johan Schellbach, but she's written an entire album by herself with Speak Now.
4: I wouldn't want to speculate about what exact musical background that she has, but she's clearly very versed musically. Um, so she might use slightly different language to describe the same thing that Nate and I might use because we like to talk a lot from uh, the point of view of like 18th century classical music, which is sometimes uh, a sort of a ridiculous thing to superimpose onto modern pop music. But uh, I think she's making. But but by the kinds of melodic choices that she's making here, by by creating a motif, referencing it again, putting it into a new key, it's clear that she is very, I I believe, deliberate in a lot of the choices that she's making as a songwriter. It is surely helpful that she gets to work with some of the best producers and other songwriters in the world. Not to say that she is taking their music, but rather she has gotten... She's received probably the best music education you can by spending so much time in the studio. So I, I believe that she's is quite musically versed. I don't know, Nate. What do you think?
5: Yeah, I I agree with what you said, Charlie. I couldn't put it better myself. Thanks.
0: She did say that when she wrote Red, she felt like an apprentice because she was collaborating with all of these great musicians.
4: Hmm. And it's a great album.
0: So one other question. I don't know if you've ever seen the live performance of Trouble, but... I feel like she really intensified the dubstep and th- the kind of chaotic feeling in that song in the live performance. Do you have any comments about her live performance of it?
5: This is where our Taylor Swift knowledge uh, we're reaching the limits because no, I have to say <laughs> I haven't, I haven't. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely gonna go watch it right now, but no, I haven't, I haven't seen her live performance of this.
4: I've seen the live performance, and I, I, I think that. There's a couple of reasons why um, it wants to uh, pop out more and be more rough around the edges. Um, one is that uh, I think that people have already heard the song. And so they their expectations are prepared for the trouble moment, that trouble melody and that dubstep sound. And I, I think the second reason is that um, on top of being ready for a change and maybe wanting to take us a little further, that sound, that dubstep sound, in a live context is it really wants to get people moving so if i were to perform this tune i would definitely want to take the verse and bring down the dynamics bring the volume down on it make it simpler a little more sparse and when the chorus drops you want that to be the biggest moment potentially another reason is that in recorded music um, typically you're going to have a similar dynamic range throughout an entire song the way that songs are mixed is that the volume stays pretty consistent in modern pop from uh the verse into the chorus and this is done through a method called compression and i think that um in a live context you you want to bring those dynamics out even further Uh, so that's that's probably why she, she she brought those out it was people were primed for it it's gonna it's better in a live context and in just the context of um uh of live recording ends up usually having more dynamic range than a lot of um recorded music especially built for streaming
1: that's so interesting to me that you say that because you think about when taylor puts on these live shows and and you know amongst just the three of us i mean we've been to i don't even know how many of these of these concerts but you go to these performances you thoroughly enjoy them and the songs that she performs are are so much different than what you hear on the albums themselves and it's interesting to think that she has incorporated, like, calculated elements into these performances to tune Mm -hmm. them up or make them better or, you know, what have you, just to sonically and visually, I suppose, please the audience. I think that's awesome.
4: We've established that she is uh, such a master of understanding where people's expectations and listening is at at any one time, and then playing with it so that we get something surprising and so she's doing that not just with her melodies not just in the song construction but the way that she plays those songs live so that you're not getting the exact same thing you're getting a sense of something new something refreshing something that's going to excite you as a fan she's very smart in in making those choices i don't know about you nate but that's all i have to say about trouble though i want to go listen to it more and more and more because it it is so it's such a rewarding tune
5: yeah no i'm i feel very very satisfied with uh with our breakdown of this one.
2: After hearing all of this, it just makes me wonder how many other strategies we've been missing in every song that we
0: enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we need to have you on for every single song.
1: Literally every single song. <laughs>
4: <laughs> we, we, we have. We'll, we can put together a special consulting fee. In all seriousness, we'd love to come back and, and share some more about Taylor anytime.
2: But I would love to know if there's anything that you both are hoping for or predicting or expecting as far as how her sound evolves for her next album because at this point nobody really has any idea what to expect
5: oh my gosh um yeah we're i, I don't know I, I i i don't want to prognosticate but i just want to say i'm very i'm, I'm really excited
2: yeah <laughs> i think we're the same
4: i'll i'll i am I'm, I'm more prone to speculation than nate is Um uh, <laughs> i think uh, throughout the pop charts that we're hearing a return to more analog sounds away from digital dance sort of sounds, that the, 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 the height of electronic music is, is sort of probably at its apex. And so we're already hearing with uh, like Harry Styles' new album a return to um, more acoustic instruments, more analog sounds. And I wouldn't be surprised if Taylor were to embrace some more of those sort of sounds which made her originally so famous. Um, that is total speculation, but I think it would also, I would love to hear more of it because she's just such a good songwriter at her core that even though Trouble's so successful, her songs don't necessarily need the dressing of all that orchestration on top of it. Um, so I would love to hear some more raw sort of acoustic tunes.
2: I think we all would love that.
1: You know, one final point that I want to make just from hearing you guys break down this song is that... Something that is described about Taylor all the time. I mean, you always hear, what a great singer, what a great songwriter. Mm -hmm. To me, whenever somebody says that Taylor is a great songwriter, I immediately think of and now knowingly, wrongfully mix that up with lyricist to hear specifically you guys break that down into what these melodies are, what these keys are, what these chords are. That's so fascinating to me that there's this entirely different world that she's operating in and writing this music with. Uh, it's, It's fantastic. It's really opened my eyes.
4: Well, yeah. thank you. That's that's exactly what we're trying to do with Switched on Pop. We, we we love all of the analysis of music that's out there, but as musicians and music appreciators, Nate and I just so badly wanted to get deeper into the musical element, which is so often missed. Um, usually people are going to jump into the lyrical analysis, maybe analysis of what's happening in that, that artist's life and, and arc of their career. Uh, but it's, it's amazing when you get into the music how much more there is, and it, it usually is just very, as I said, very rewarding to get into it.
2: Do you want to remind everyone where they can find you guys on social media and all of your podcast platforms?
5: Definitely. We are uh online at SwitchedOnPop.com. on on Twitter at SwitchedOnPop. Facebook, switched on pop. I think there's a theme. We're switched, yeah. <laughs> We're but uh we've been please reach out to us. We love uh talking pop music and Taylor Swift in particular, so um Please share all the all the Swift cast listeners out there who have their own pet uh, analyses of of Taylor Swift songs. Please share them with us. We're we're hungry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, like Nate Junior said, this has been very eye opening, <laughs> <laughs> and I hope that you guys will come back whenever Taylor has new music, which hopefully will be soon. Definitely, that would be wonderful.
4: Thank you so much for having us.
0: Thanks, yeah. guys. This has been great. Thanks, guys. Seriously, thank you. So if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes, and that way you can have the latest episode downloaded for you automatically. And while you're on iTunes, if you can leave us a review and a five-star rating, it will help other people to find our show easier. If you'd like to contact us, you can reach us on Twitter at SwiftCast13, and we're on Tumblr, Instagram, and Facebook at SwiftCast13. You can email us at swiftcast13show at gmail.com or you can visit our website at swiftcast13.com.
1: So before we end the show, I just got to throw that out there. Seriously, when album six drops, we need to get those guys back on this show. I would love to hear whatever they have to say about Taylor's new music.
2: And hopefully all of you will agree now that you've heard this discussion, because I think all of our minds were blown.
0: Yeah, this is something just so different that we've never done before, but really exciting and really such a learning experience.
1: Either way, now I'm going to be just tuning into their show as a fan of them myself. So,
0: Absolutely. Well, we hope to be able to have them on again soon, because that will mean that Taylor will have new music. Heck yeah. But either way, we'll be back next week with another exciting episode. For now, for episode 203, this has been Steph, Ashley, Adam, and Nate. And we will see you next week. Thanks, guys. See ya. Bye, guys. Later. Thank you for listening to this episode of SwiftCast. Visit us on the web at
2: theswiftcast.com. SwiftCast is not directly affiliated with Taylor Swift, Big Machine Label Group, or 13 Management.